hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. And we're going to get back to the music segment. This one came in from Mr. Henry Engelking. And it's a good one from Zach Williams. The title of the song is Fear is Like a Liar. Let's 
Wow. He is a liar. Zach Williams, fear is a liar. Is that good? It's amazing. You know, I showed that and I listened to it. I'm going to let you look at the video on YouTube in the show notes. And it's about suicide. It's about suicidal ideation, the contemplation, the act. And uh, in it, there's three gripping vignettes. And the reason why I'm showing it to you is I became really sensitized by the React 19 group uh, led by Brianne Dressen about, and it's one of the largest groups, I think the largest of COVID-19 vaccine injured people in the country. And what I learned is that the desperation is so great among the COVID-19 vaccine injured because their employers don't understand, the families don't understand, uh, they are getting no attention from the medical community, from the CDC, NIH, FDA, TGA, MHRA. You can go around the world. It's the same, that they're desperate. And they're at the point where some are considering taking their own lives. Fear is a liar, Zach Williams. you got to see it because I think it applies to what we're dealing with right here, right now, with the COVID-19 vaccine debacle. Now, we're going to dedicate... This, this show to the CDC and the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System that the CDC maintains. We've referenced it many times uh, because we can independently do research. You know, as a doctor, I can do my own queries. In fact, I have for a variety of different purposes. And there have been publications we've highlighted on the show, several from Dr. Jessica Rose, a viral epidemiologist, using VAERS data. We use the OpenVAERS data overlay that was uh, created by Liz Wilner, and that is available for you online. But the CDC has actually never analyzed the VAERS data and given us their own interpretation until Monday, January 9th, 2023. And we'll have on the backside, we've called an expert, Dr. Craig Wax, who's in practice, and he'll give us his interpretation and how it's reduced to practice. But I wanted to give you the highlights here of the CDC report, again, released January 9th, 2023. Uh, this uh, concerns safety data reports from December 14th, 2020, four days after the start of Pfizer, to January 29th, 2022 in the mid-year, so about 18 months of data. Clear safety signals for death, a range of highly concerning thromboembolic, cardiac, neurological, hemorrhagic, hematological immune system and menstrual cycle adverse events among U.S. adults. That's my interpretation. 770 different types of adverse events showed safety signals in those over age 18. 500 had a larger safety signal than myocarditis pericarditis, which we focused on so much. The CDC analysis shows a number of serious adverse events uh, for less than two years of exposure, but in aggregate, it's 5.5 times larger than all serious reports for vaccines given to adults in the U.S. since 2009. Now, serious adverse events include death, hospitalization, uh, life-threatening, and prolongation of hospitalization. So SAEs, or serious adverse events, are a big deal. There um, were 96 safety signals in those uh, 12 to 17 years old. The big-ticket ones were myocarditis, pericarditis, Bell's palsy, genital ulcerations, high blood pressure and heart rate, menstrual irregularities, uh, blood clots, 
For those age 5 to 11, 66 safety signals, myocarditis, pericarditis, ventricular dysfunction, that means early heart failure, pericardial and pleural effusions, chest pain, appendicitis. Here, Kawasaki's disease, which is an immune phenomenon reported late after COVID-19 illness, is also reported after vaccination. Menstrual irregularities, that's disturbing. Ages 5 to 11 should not have menstrual abnormalities. And um, how the CDC did this is the CDC uh, analyzed the data and then matched it up uh, with an FDA analysis called a uh, empirical Bayesian data mining model conducted by the FDA. And the CDC concluded that there were no additional unexpected safety signals and but the FDA data mining model was not re released. So this wasn't released for us to analyze. And uh, this is what the CDC told the Epoch Times. They, they said that their results were generally consistent with the empirical Bayesian data mining model conducted by the FDA, revealing no additional unexpected safety signals. Now, these are uh, the words of Tyler Durden from Zero Hedge. Tyler said, so either the FDA data mining model was consistent with the CDC method, meaning they generally found the same large number of highly alarming safety signals, or the signals they did find were expected or they were lying. But we never know because the FDA has refused to release their data mining results. So you can imagine the situation that we're in right now where the CDC has tried to hand wave away the safety signals, and this has been an absolute uh, catastrophe. Now in social media recently, uh, many have uh, opined, they're back on my Twitter feed, uh, the attackers are there regarding quibbling about data here and a quibble about data there. And I wanted to go through the timeline of where we are in COVID-19 vaccine safety. So the Pfizer vaccine is released December 10th, 2020. Within 90 days of the Pfizer release, 1,223 deaths have occurred. Pfizer receives the deaths. They do not pull the vaccine off the market, typically no more than 50. They would have done so. And the FDA doesn't tell them to take them off the market. And then the FDA tries to block that safety bundle to the American public for 55 years, and finally it's obtained. So it doesn't start out good. By March of 2021, a small French laboratory group had uh, uh, called for the vaccines to be pulled off the market for safety. March 10th, 2021, I testified in the Texas Senate with very strong concerns regarding safety. Then in May of 2021, Bruno and colleagues, I'm second author, published a paper in uh, the preprint server Authoria and that goes out to all the world leaders expressing our concerns on safety. Throughout 2021, the World Council for Health, several stern warnings for safety, and now we're into 2022, June 11th, 2022, the World Council for Health officially issues a formal recall of the COVID-19 vaccines based upon a pharmacovigilance report. I go in with that and I lead in the Texas Senate on June 27th, 2022, with uh, my concerns regarding safety and reiterating the call for removal of the vaccines for the market. And then we move all the way to the US Senate on December 7th, 
2022. And let me play for you what the conclusions were of the U.S. Senate testimony. And you're truly, Dr. McCullough gave the concluding call. Dr. McCullough, just quickly, I, I think it has to be said to the pathway to, to prevent any more harm is all the vaccines need to be pulled off the market and withdrawn. That needs to happen immediately. All the vaccine mandates should be dropped immediately. We need requests for applications and immediate funding for vaccine injury centers of excellence across the United States for screening, detection, uh, diagnosis, prognosis, and management. Uh, we need a massive shift in our healthcare system towards managing now this large number of vaccine injured people. What's at stake here is death. And the deaths that were reported by Mr. Dowd and, and others, the deaths on a more probable than not basis that are occurring in someone who have taken a vaccine are due to the vaccine and the autopsy studies show it. It's alarming to save American lives. Now these vaccines can be pulled off the market. Yeah. So I was very clear in that Senate testimony that was basically at the end. And what I can tell my Twitter followers is that while we engage in discourse in data at this point in time, uh, quibbling re on data regarding the vaccines is not going to reverse the multiple calls for removal from the market. Within 48 hours of my Senate testimony, Andrew Brigden, Member of Parliament from the UK, called for withdrawal of all the vaccines, as did Christine Anderson previously in the EU, Member of Parliament from Germany uh, by Malcolm Roberts, Member of Parliament in Australia. The calls are worldwide and it's because of unacceptable safety. Now I wanna switch our attention to the case of Damar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills young player who suffers a cardiac arrest on the field. So much commentary and analysis. As I'm doing this recording, we're about eight days into it. Uh, he has recovered from the uh, cardiac arrest. He's been discharged from the hospital. I correctly uh, predicted this for all of the major media, including uh, the cardiac arrest, the prognosis, the workup, the discharge. I think America is starting to understand that, you know, this is my field and I know exactly what's going to happen in the next steps. But I wanted you to hear the reaction from uh, a young commentator, news anchor, Emerald Ramison, The Absolute Truth. And uh, this is uh, as, as events were unfolding in the Damar Hamlin case. Buffalo Bill safety DeMar Hamlin is still in critical condition after collapsing with cardiac arrest mid-game against the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday night. Fortunately, DeMar's uncle, Dorian Glenn, said his 24-year-old nephew's condition is improving. Now, immediately and obviously, people began to ask the question, is the vaccine the cause for Hamlin's condition? But... That's the question you're not allowed to ask, according to corporate media outlets who are already on a coordinated campaign to demonize questioning the possible correlation. But let's look at the facts. As of December 2021, 95% of NFL players were vaccinated, and the league also said nearly 100% of the organization's employees are jabbed as well. 
According to his own tweet, Arizona Cardinals defensive end J.J. Watt said his heart went into atrial fibrillation in October, saying his heart was shocked back into rhythm. In December, the dad of New York's Jets player Max Mitchell revealed his son had blood clots in his right calf and lung. He is a tw- he is 23 years old. His dad chalked it up to a hereditary blood clotting condition and said it's just a temporary setback. But keep in mind, the athletes are screened for pre-existing heart conditions. It's also impacting retired middle-aged football stars. Last year, after getting the vaccine, retired player and current Colorado Boulder coach Deion Sanders developed arterial blood clots, arterial blood clots in the large arteries in his upper legs, which then shot to his toes, requiring several amputations. Now, again, he attributed the blood clots to family histories. Sanders had trolled Aaron Rodgers for refusing the jab. Former offensive lineman for the Jacksonville Jaguars died Friday in Indiana from a likely heart attack. The 38-year-old was a strong vaccine mandate supporter, and just a few months ago, he promoted jailing anyone who refuses the class shot. Now, across various sports, the data gets even worse before COVID-19 vaccines took over our lives. The average number of cardiac arrests in the European soccer and football leagues was 29 cases per year. But since the jab rolled out, there have been about 1,600 cardiac arrests. According to a recent paper from Dr. McCullough, along with another colleague, there were also more heart attacks in athletes since the vaccine rolled out two years ago than the 38-year period from 1966 to 2004 combined. So let's welcome back Dr. Peter Peter McCullough to the absolute truth to discuss this disturbing trend. He's also the author author of Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Good to see you again, Dr. McCullough. You've been quite the target of the corporate media since Monday. I mean, I went through that story after story today, and some some were mentioned in them together, trying to discredit what you've had to say about DeMar Hamlin saying that it's either too early to tell or you're flat out wrong. But tell us, Dr. McCullough, what is going on with Hamlin? Yeah, I'm an internist and cardiologist, and I have a lot of experience in receiving patients like him to the hospital. I've published on out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, and I've published extensively on COVID-19 and the vaccines. And where we are now uh, is we know that the NFL took our federal tax dollars in the COVID Community Core program from the White House and HHS. So the NFL took our taxpayer dollars to mandate the vaccines on the players. So this is not a private health event. The NFL, the doctors, the patient's family, Buffalo Bills, they owe America an explanation because our tax dollars are involved here. Uh, What we know, he's in his third day after cardiac arrest. The doctors know a lot at this point in time. They've done EKGs, echocardiograms, detailed blood tests. Uh, you know, if he had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or, or congenital heart disease or, or electrolyte abnormalities that caused the problem, it would have been disclosed. I think these three days of silence are making me more concerned that this is vaccine-induced myocarditis or a vaccine-induced primary arrhythmia. Both can happen. Uh, and that the vaccine, until proven otherwise, is implicated as the cause of this cardiac arrest, indeed, if you you took the vaccine. 
I agree, Dr. McCullough. I think it's very telling that you're not hearing from the NFL. Typically in situations like this, right, we'll see a representative come out from the NFL, be in the media, giving the NFL statement on this, at the very least, some kind of statement from the NFL. You'd also typically see a press conference with the doctors treating uh, Mr. Hamlin, but the only person we've seen thus far is his uncle, who has been giving updates you know, via CNN and, and other media as to his condition. From what we're hearing from the uncle saying they've got him, I believe the last update was that he has been, you know, getting help breathing, but they've got him down to 50% on the ventilator. What does, what do the, the limited updates we've gotten from the uncle say about Hamlin's health? Well, I can tell you based on my prior research published in the American Journal of Cardiology in 1998 and his resuscitative parameters, I think he's going to survive. So uh, the standard would be to have him uh, in the ICU on the mechanical ventilator, uh, have the body cooled to prevent any uh, additional anoxic brain damage. He's in a medically induced coma. That's on purpose. Uh, and all of that will be reduced, and then he'll come off the ventilator. So I predict he, he'll survive. Uh, but the key points here is disclosure, that disclosure is warranted because uh, the NFL took our taxpayer dollars to do this. And, uh, you know, he'll undergo a series of tests. Uh, the MRI could identify myocarditis or a scar in the heart. We know there are some primary arrhythmias that can happen without myocarditis directly due to the vaccine. Uh, likely his NFL career is over with at this point in time. Uh, neurologic recovery will be most important clinically in his case, uh, but he'll get an ICD implanted to prevent another cardiac arrest. And what we need to hear is what is the NFL doing now to protect other players from vaccine injury and to prevent another one of these cardiac arrests? The Epoch Times yesterday reported a total of 270 U.S. citizens who are athletes who have dropped dead. You saw the European data, 1598. These numbers are way too high. America deserves an explanation. Yeah, and it's also noteworthy, Dr. McCullough, as I was preparing for this segment today and I looked through the different articles that have come out over the last 48 hours, it's clearly, clearly coordinated. They're nearly the very same headlines. They cite all the same cases and they use the same data. And there's a, particularly a study that doesn't, that, that talks about this, but doesn't look at men under 30. So clearly it's a coordinated effort. I'm sure they've reached out to you as they have done me as well to try to discredit and I send them your data. <laughs> it's true. You know what? One study I think that's very convincing is by Schwab and colleagues from Heidelberg, Germany. They analyzed people found dead at home after the vaccine within 20 days. And 71% of the cases, they found clear cut vaccine induced causes of death myocarditis, blood clots, intracranial hemorrhage, uh, and other you know, well-accepted vaccine-induced fatal injury syndromes. So on a more probable than not basis, when these deaths occur, based on the autopsy data, it is the vaccine until proven otherwise. Yeah. Well, it's very encouraging that you say, based on what we're hearing, that you think Mr. Hamlin should come through it and survive. That is good news, but it is unfortunate that there's not a closer look into the cause and that the NFL isn't standing uh, by its players by investigating this and being, and being more forthright. Thank you so much, Dr. McCall. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you. And that was Emerald Robinson. 
of the um, absolute truth. And I think that was a really good interview. Summarizes, again, Damar Hamlin now, uh, at the time of this recording, eight days after his arrest, been discharged from Cincinnati to Buffalo, whether he's in a hospital at home, doesn't matter. He's probably on a life vest. He should get the rest of his test results. I predict that this will quickly get out of the media cycle. There won't be any follow-up or any mention on what's happened. And then we're going to be left with, unfortunately, just concern if there is a next case. Uh, and then what, again, is the NFL and our sports leagues doing to protect young athletes with subclinical myocarditis and then sudden cardiac arrest, um, of which in the European data, uh, about uh, two-thirds are fatal and, and about a third can be resuscitated. Well, we're going to take a break now and we're going to get to the backside with Dr. Craig Wax, a family physician. We're going to get his interpretation on the VAERS data and what he's seen in his clinical practice. So stay with us. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Do you find yourself being forgetful, concerned about cognitive impair, impairment as we get older? Do you feel as if mentally you want to be sharper or you're worried about that loss in your cognitive acuity? I know I do. So many people do. And Besides a healthy lifestyle, exercise, staying mentally active, there are supplements to consider. One is healthy cell focus and recall. And here there are supplements that do help assist focus and neurotransmitter function, including uh, hyperazine A, L-theanine, glycine, and L-tyrosine, focus on uh, recall, mental speed and rapid learning, that's uh, uh, L-alpha-GPC, phosphatidylserine, and DMAE, brain blood flow and support, that's curcumin, taurine, and green coffee bean extract, brain cell antioxidant activity, lutein, panax, uh, ginseng uh, root, and black pepper fruit extract, and then lastly, cognitive fuel, brain, and energy, omega-3, 6, and 9, MCT oil, and vitamin B6 and B12. You know, this is a superstar combination of nutraceuticals in a single microgel packet. Uh, so many things that you normally wouldn't get in your diet, and you wouldn't uh, possibly tackle taking all these individual supplements uh, themselves. Here in Healthy Cell Focus and Recall, you can get it in a quick gel pack, get that rapid absorption, and do the best you can. Uh, we know that uh, our, our minds and our bodies work together. We know we do the best we can with our diet. Why not give it its best possible assistance with Focus and Recall? Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report.
Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. America out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to welcome back to the microphone Dr. Craig Wax. Dr. Wax needs no introduction. He's been on our program before. In fact, Dr. Wax is a very well-known public health figure, and I would say a leading family physician in New Jersey. He's uh, been for many years in the media. And I've asked Dr. Wax to come on and discuss the most recent VAERS analysis report from the CDC. Craig, welcome to the McCullough's Report. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. McCullough. It's always a pleasure um, to be on your show and to uh, to interact with you and to uh, be able to have the uh, opportunity to to speak to listeners who can gain um, lots of education from uh, from uh, the data that you have to present. Well, we have a certainly a boatload of data that's come in in the last week. You know, the CDC maintains the vaccine adverse event reporting system for research, and a lot of people have done research from it. Uh, But finally, the CDC has done its own analysis. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, on the 9th, um, they came out with um, some data that I wanted to go over briefly and then get some reflections um, on on the data. Uh, Because, you know, we've all had concerns about the mechanism of the mRNA and DNA shots and the fact that they, you know, force your body, all of your cells in an uncontrolled way to make a spike protein, which we know is the inflammatory component of COVID-19 to begin with. I mean, they didn't pick a benign protein. They picked potentially the worst one. So there's a lot of questions and problems that we've had. And I know in my office, I've seen neurologic problems, hematologic or blood problems, um, cardiovascular problems, that is to say heart attack, stroke, things that may be related to, to the shots. And we know the kids don't benefit from the shots, but in many cases, they've been indicated way down into the single digits um, without data to say that that's 
useful, especially um, since the research that they did was on um, mice rather than, than humans. So it, there's a ton of concerns, um, and especially with the, the near death of that uh, football player last week um, uh, with the Buffalo Bills, um, uh, Damar Hamlin, very, very difficult for everyone to watch and sad for his family and all his caregivers. And uh, God bless the EMS people that responded so quickly. At any rate, let's talk about the VAERS data. So VAERS scientists or the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, um, they look for unusually high numbers of reports in an adverse event category after a particular vaccine or a new pattern of adverse events come out. Like you remember, I'm sure in your lifetime, you know, the um, swine flu vaccine, I think there were, uh, what, maybe six deaths or something, and they, they pulled the vaccine altogether. I mean, with a relatively small number of, I mean, believe me, nobody wants to see any deaths potentially related to a medical intervention that's potentially designed to save lives. But it was a, a, a major issue back then. And we've seen, uh, if you go to, if anybody Googles open VAERS, open V-A-E-R-S, you can see an extrapolation from the difficult to use government system into a more easy to read system. But when scientists see either of the situations, when either there's a new pattern of adverse events or adverse events seem to be related to a particular vaccine, um, they focus their studies um, to determine if the adverse events are or are not a side effect of the vaccine. Now, if something happens like the minute you take it, it's obviously related to some degree. However, what happens when it's a day later, a week later, a month later? I mean, let's give an example. I mean, we've all been in, God forbid, traumatic auto accidents. And at the scene of the accident, we were seemed to be okay. And, you know, by the next day or three days later or five days later, you're feeling like a truck hits you. Wow, maybe I should have gone to see the doctor. I should have gone to the emergency department. So lots of these things come up way after the fact. So the information in VAERS is then correlated and then shared with the public. And the information that, that has come out um, <clears throat> on the 9th of January, um, 2023, um, is just incredible that there seems to be multiple safety signal analysis that show clear safety signals for death and a range of highly concerning issues, that is to say thromboembolic, cardiac, neurological, hemorrhagic, hematological, immune system, and menstrual events in U.S. adults. I mean, there were 770 different types of adverse events that showed safety signals in ages 18 plus in, in this regard. It's, it's unfathomable that there hasn't been action to hold up these shots prior to now, let alone pull them from the market. So it sounds like you're impressed with the number, but also the array, just the array of organ system uh, syndromes that are being reported here in side effects. Yeah. What is causing yeah, absolutely. that? Absolutely. Why is it so diffuse in the body? Well, that's, that's a great question. And thanks for, for posing it because you know, everybody thinks of, well, you know, where'd you get your vaccine? Well, I got it in my arm and my arm muscle ached for a few days and that was it. Well, conventional and traditional vaccines 
do a lot of that. They stay in the muscle tissue and the body reacts on them there. Whereas these new new systems for mRNA and um, DNA delivery are, are wrapped in this lipid bilayer, which for, for lack of a better word, is just this fatty globule that allows it entry uh, and into a lot of other cells. So it allows it to exit the muscle tissue into the lymph fluid and get collected back into the venous collection system, go back to the heart and get pumped out through the arterial system and go to every organ in the body. And what's most distressing to me, Dr. McCullough, is that you know, we know it crosses into lots of sensitive metabolic tissues, highly metabolic, important tissues like ovary and testicles. And it can even cross something called the blood-brain barrier, which has provided safety for humans for the millennia with regard to keeping toxins that or bacteria that circulate around the body, preventing it from getting into the brain or the nervous system control system. And what these things do when these fat globules cross into all of these different various tissues, they can enter the cells and deposit their mRNA and DNA. And then the body says, hey, there's a message. I'm a ribosome. I'm going to make that protein. And then they make the spike protein, which, as I mentioned in the beginning of the discussion, is a very inflammatory protein. And it causes a ton of inflammatory cascade. I mean, it's 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 worse than dominoes. I mean, if you've ever seen like dominoes go up and back and forth and trip a whole bunch of different things in a Rube Goldberg device, it's almost like a room full of mouse traps where you have a ping pong ball on each one and you throw one single ping pong in and all of a sudden they're all going off all over the place. This is happening all over the body and even more dangerous than it happening in all of the tissues in an uncontrolled fashion. We don't know which tissues and what people make more spike protein than others. We have no idea. Does it, does it matter your background, your, your, your sex, your, your height, your genetics? We have no idea. There's been no studies or correlative information on this. So when someone takes one of these high-risk shots, we don't know what the side effects are going to be. And as you point out, that's the, in my opinion, the mechanism for why we're seeing neurologic problems, heart problems, cancer problems. Um, if, if, if I may also mention something, that the immune system is simplified is two large overlapping systems. And one of the systems is like the army or the military. It's basically designed to keep things out. And if something tries to get in, it closes the border and it pushes them out or, or, or kills them and takes them out. And that's how you defend yourself every day, every minute um, against other things. And people understand the immune system does that. But there's one thing that the immune system does that people don't necessarily have an everyday understanding of. And that's when you have bad cells already inside you from your own tissues because you're constantly recreating yourself. And, and Dr. McCullough, I hate to tell you this, but you and I have cancer cells within us at the moment. But we're blessed with an immune system that acts as a police force to take out those malignant cells. And that's a wonderful thing that we have going for us. The problem is, is these mRNA and DNA shots, because they 
permeate all tissues and create spike proteins, they tie up the immune system. In fact, they may burn out entities in the immune system, which means A, you can get more infections and B, you can't take out the bad cancer cells. And I've seen, and others um, in circles that we travel in have seen all across the world cancer recurrences in people that we thought were cancer-free and cancers in younger and younger people without a good explanation as to what the risk factor was. Why did this happen? Well, Craig, the FDA says that the vaccines cause heart damage. So that's uh, uh, uncontroversial. The the FDA- Check that box. Right, check that box. Check that box. FDA says it causes neurologic damage. Okay, check that box. Check that box. FDA says it causes blood clots. Check that box. FDA says that it causes uh, immune problems uh, like uh, hematologic problems like vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia. Yeah, check check the hematologic box. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Right. So we got those four big ones. But the FDA doesn't say the vaccines cause cancer. How about Guillain-Barre syndrome? Well, that's under, that there? Yeah, that's under neurologic. So, but okay, check the, the, box. FDA, the FDA does not say right now that they cause cancer. You and well, other- so interesting, interesting, Doctor McCullough. Allow me to 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 explain that a little further. I'm not suggesting that, in my opinion, these vaccines cause cancer. I believe that they cause the immune system to fail to detect and eliminate cancer. If that makes sense. Right. So, but I guess what I'm getting to is based on cancer surveillance data, at least observationally, it hasn't been brought to the FDA's attention. Is there anything you see in this most recent CDC VAERS report that implicates cancer? I'm still looking through it for for data with regard to that, because it seems like they're big with neurologic and and cardiac and respiratory. Uh, It seems like, and you know, now even reproductive with postmenopausal bleeding. And, and as a cardiologist, you may not be everyday familiar with it, but whenever a woman develops postmenopausal bleeding as a GYN or a family doctor or an internal medicine doctor, you always have to think endometrial or uterine cancer. So this is, this is disturbing. I, I think that, you know, that's a potential link right there. You know, there's a, a paper from uh, Academic Medical Center uh, here in Dallas uh, regarding um, swelling of lymph nodes in the uh, axilla and prompting more mammograms and more investigation for cancer. And and what you're suggesting, even if it's not cancer, uh, these well-documented phenomenon, so postmenopausal uterine bleeding, changes in menses, lymph nodes, Swelling. Yep. They prompt the evaluation for cancer. So they prompt that uh, that scare, if you will, in women. I, I guess what I'm getting around to is that the the DMED database in the military shows an increase in cancer. Um, right. Uh, others uh, are proposing based on mechanism that the immune surveillance for cancer could be reduced. And right. That well, me- me- yeah. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to piggyback on that because I know our local radiology places have 
let everybody know, hey, if you're going out to get these shots, you have to wait X number of months after your COVID shot before you get a mammogram because of the phenomenon you spoke of that it it stimulates, you know, um, changes in the lymph nodes, which may prompt a, a cancer workup. Having said that, that's that's potentially bad for at least two reasons. One reason is, is it postpones your screening. Like if you're scheduled to get it in, in, in March and you can't get it until, you know, six months later, well, guess what? Then you've lost the opportunity to screen at the interval that's been well-established. So that's number one. Number two, uh, as you point out, that we're going to have time and time again, multiple workups because when, you know, have, having colleagues that are uh, radiologists that read mammograms, it's, it's a really high-risk field. Obviously, you can't, you can't miss anything, and they tend to overread mammograms for that reason because of, you know, uh, medical litigation issues. So many, many more women are going to be called back for follow-up compression views and ultrasounds and, and even biopsies that hopefully won't yield any cancer. However, um, it's possible that they could. And I think that can't be discounted at this time. Well, let's turn our attention to your practice uh, what types of cancers have you seen emerge in the vaccinated, just so our listeners can understand from a practitioner's perspective? Yeah, well, I have um, a, a case in point that I could bring up. I had a, a 30-year-old patient, um, a female patient, very nice lady, um, doesn't do anything exciting, no risk factors. Um, all of her parameters are pretty good, comes in for a yearly physical, generally fairly well. She came in with rectal bleeding. And I said, well, you know, this rectal bleeding is probably nothing. You know, it's probably a hemorrhoid. But I thought back to her family's history, and I'm fortunate enough to take care of her father, who she's 30, but the father was 57, and he was found to have a colon cancer. So I thought to myself, well, let's play on the safe side. And rather than just assume this is nothing or, or assume this is just a hemorrhoid, let me send her to the colorectal surgeon. Again, a slight overreaction on my part, but I'd rather overreact than underreact and have someone have a complication. So, and that's the difference between physicians and um, mid-level practitioners and potentially even um, you know, computer-based systems that are supposed to outmode doctors in a number of years. So this is just uh, what a clinician does or, or an educated physician. In, in any event, um, I sent her to the colorectal surgeon. And wouldn't you know, she had a colorectal cancer the size of a golf ball at age 30. And, and that's relatively unheard of. But she had had two of the mRNA shots, and I'm not sure whether it was Moderna or Pfizer um, without her record in front of me, but she also had a booster. And all of these took place in a relatively short period. So all of these insults to her immune system, you know, were being pumped by the government, um, academic medicine that's been bought and paid for, um, all kinds of other entities, workplaces trying to force it. Although, as we know, the vaccine or the shot, if you will, um, does not prevent you from getting COVID or spreading COVID or hospitalization significantly from COVID. So if there's no upside and there's only downside, 
it doesn't make any sense why this madness continues. There must be other causes. Well, Craig, here's the link. So what you're talking about is, uh, listen, she's a young person. She has rectal bleeding, but she's got a family history of colon cancer. Right. So, she, so, so if, I may, if I may interject, if I may interject, she probably had a genetic predisposition to this. And my theory is, and maybe you can speak to this or some of our colleagues can, my theory is that she had a genetic predisposition to this. Perhaps she was going to get it later in life. But something about the vaccine insults times three interrupted that and switched that cancer switch on or failed to switch it off. Well, Craig, here's the you know, here's the concern. So University of Pittsburgh paper by Singh and colleagues shows that by um, computer um, modeling that the S2 spike uh, segment of the spike protein, which the body gets loaded with, with the vaccines, that the S2 segment uh, interferes with the P53 gene, which is the tumor suppressor gene for many cancers. Now it turns out in colorectal cancer cases, the P53 gene is mutated. There's a loss of immune surveillance in 43% of tumors. And then the remaining have a compromised P53 function because of alterations in gene encoding for P53 regulation. So what there I'm, you go. Yeah, so what I'm telling you is it's biologically plausible that multiple rounds of spike protein production in your patient impaired the immune surveillance of a cancer. Now she was prone to the cancer because she had the familial history of colon cancer. Correct. So it, Correct. It, so it all fits together. One of the reasons why cancer may not be in VAERS is VAERS is reported by doctors, nurses, others, mainly people who gave the vaccines or saw the patient shortly after. It's typically right. not used month, months or years after a vaccine. It's just, it, it's well, really cute reporting system. Well, you know, it's interesting that goes to that point, and I'm sure you can speak about it in Texas because I think you uh, mentioned it in a few of the uh, movie documentaries that you were involved in, that there were multiple immediate ramped up government and military driven installations at academic medical centers that pitched tents and did these shots day and night. And then when the people had the side effects and problems, the tents were gone, the people were gone, and there was nobody to speak with. That there was, you know, no ear, so to speak, to listen for all of the events. All of the events fell into the crowd, into your office, my office, and other offices. Well, Craig, I just want to get the citation in for the P53 for your patient. It's by please. It's Liebel and Hoffman from the Institute of Technology of Toxicology, University of Medical Center in Mainz. And it was published in Cancers, the journal Cancers in 2021. The title of the paper is Role of P53 Signaling in Colorectal Cancer. I want to ask you another question, Craig, since you're in such a sure. you know, prominent position in practice. Did you ever get a notice from an insurance company, a health system, uh, anything that came in your office to warn you about the side effects of the vaccines and how to report to VAERS? Right. So generally in this kind of a situation in years past, there would be either a government or academic entity or, or a medical group would say, you know, hey, just so you know, this is rolling out. And here's what the problem is. In fact, the manufacturers, whenever there's a recall or an issue, are law bound 
to contact us directly within X number of days. Well, when it comes to the mRNA and DNA shots from from Pfizer and from Moderna and from Janssen, Johnson and Johnson, there has been zero communications and something that's disturbing that has even been brought up on on in the Texas Senate and the floors of Congress, that the package insert, the very thing that physicians are are law bound to understand and help people to make informed consent, whether they agree or disagree, the very papers, because these were emergency use authorized and not FDA approved, these very papers are blank. Now they're included, but they're blank. Why would they include a paper that looks like a package insert, but it's blank? That almost sounds like intent to deceive to me. I mean, I I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist, but perhaps even a real scientist or physician, you'd recognize that that doesn't smell right. It's true. You know, on the U.S. Senate on December 7th, 2022, Dr. Renata Moon, a pediatrician uh, from... uh, St. Louis, Missouri, showed the intentionally left blank package insert. And uh, to this day, Craig, aren't the package inserts so blank? They haven't been filled in, right? Yes, they're they're absolutely blank. And I, I really feel for all of the pharmacists that 10 years ago didn't know how and weren't called on to give any vaccines, but because it seemed profitable, for the big corporate entities, the CVS Caremarks and the, and the Walgreens and, you know, all of the other big um, pharmacy PBM giants out there um, to give these shots. They trained up their pharmacists and all of a sudden everybody's giving shots. And then this emergency comes along and all the rules are suspended and everybody's giving these shots. And I would bet money that half of the pharmacists out there have had more than second thoughts about this. But they don't know how to feed their family otherwise if they lose their job for this huge corporate entity that's forcing them to do this. They kind of have to turn a blind eye to their heart and the science in their head, which is incredibly disturbing. It's so true. Craig, in your practice, of those who took COVID-19 vaccines, what percent are going to continue to take them? What percent have stopped? And, And give me a sense of the level of regret people have. Yeah, no, that's definitely interesting. And then and then I think I um, have to get a move on. I've got some other clinical issues I've got to attend to um, in my practice. Um, I mean, I practice in southern New Jersey, which is outside the, the, the Philadelphia area, the Delaware Valley, if you will. So it's a I kind of am at a transition between between a suburban area and rural area, surprisingly enough, where I am. And Fortunately, um, my patients have all been wary of all of these products. Now, some of them faced um, job pressures to get them. They faced school pressures to get them. They had to withstand those. Um, they've had family pressures. You know, oh, you can't come see the baby unless you've had the shot. I mean, it's it's unbelievable the level of uh, Gosh, I mean, I hate to call it warfare, but it almost seems like mental warfare that everybody's at war with everybody on this. And the only people that seem to be in the know are the people at the top that are giving the bad information. But in, in any event, I digress. Sorry about that. But um, in my practice, um, I would say 50% of the people have had some number of shots. And 
and 50% of the people have not had any. They've held out. And of the ones that have had shots, say the 50%, I would say 40% of those that, it, well, let's just say almost most of them have some level of regret and have stopped taking them because they've either had um, uh, adverse events themselves, had family members with adverse events, they've read about adverse events, they've seen adverse events, and they're just concerned and skeptical. And they've heard the government over the last three years saying the same thing, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective, and TV, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. I mean, you hear it in your sleep. And, and if you hear a lie often enough, you start to believe it. But when it comes in, in contrast and in, in, in direct um, opposition to what you're seeing with your eyes, hearing with your ears and feeling with your hands, that's when a person wakes up and says enough is enough. So in my, my practice, I would say 50% have had no shots, 50% have had shots, and then some stopped after one some stopped after two. Some said, you know what, I got a booster and I'm not getting a booster every three months for the rest of my life um, because I've seen and heard the problems. And I treat all patients in my office the same, whether they've chosen to participate in this, they were forced to participate in this, or they refused to participate in this. And you know what, Dr. McCullough, I treat them all for COVID when they get it because everyone gets COVID. This virus, this bat virus that probably should have, would have, could have never crossed into um, the, the human body, but, you know, was unfortunately tampered with and was made to latch on to, you know, ACE receptors. Uh, it, it's just, it gets everybody eventually and no matter what. So I don't find the shots helpful and I do find the shots potentially harmful. So there's no upside. And I think the American public is wising up to what's actually going on here, that this is a, a much bigger game. And this is not a COVID emergency, but this is uh, some other sort of emergency. Well, Craig, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for Thank all you. your insights and I'll let you get back to your patients. Thanks again. Be well, Dr. McCullough. Pri privilege indeed. Be well. See you. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.